Well, so good to see all of you here this morning. As we go into this word this morning, we're going to close the series, Are You a Mary or a Martha? And I hope you figured it out. If not, you're Mary, Mary. All right, everyone welcome Mary today over there. <laughs> Maybe you're saying, Pastor, you have pointed out this week, that I, this month, that I'm a Martha. I'm a little bit stressed, a little bit busy, overwhelmed. Some of you are saying, well, pastor, I'm not sure yet. And if you're not sure, it's because maybe you're a Lazarus. And that's what we're going to talk about to close this beautiful Sunday morning. So, you know, when my parents used to punish me, they would say, I'm doing this because I love you. That's today's word. It's going to hurt but I love you. Let's go to John chapter 11, verse 33. <clears throat> John chapter 11, and we're going to finish this story off in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. The Lord told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Or as we learned last week in King James, by now he stinketh. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you, <clears throat> didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And here's a big takeaway. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Amen. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. Thank you for this series. Thank you for allowing us to Learn your word, Father, in our church. And I pray that you would bless this message, Lord, that you've given me to preach. Open our hearts and our ears to understand. And for those that are listening online right now, Lord, I pray that you would help them as well to really see what freedom feels like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As we get into this word today, <clears throat> let's recap what's been going on the past month if you haven't been here. But Lazarus was sick. But it was okay because Martha and Mary, they knew that Jesus was a healer. So they sent someone to go get him about 20 miles away. And the messenger goes to Jesus, Jesus, Lazarus, the one you love, by the way, he's very sick. you got to come quick to heal him. You see, Mary and Martha had the faith to believe that Jesus would show up and heal, that Jesus would show up and do a miracle. So they waited. And maybe that's like you this morning, and you're just waiting on the Lord to do a miracle in your life. You're waiting with great expectation as Mary and Martha did. But days go by. 
And Jesus did not show. Days go by and things get worse. But remember, Jesus sent a message to them. He said, this sickness will not end in death, Jesus told them. So imagine when that messenger comes back to Mary and Martha and says, Jesus is on his way and he has this message. He's not going to die. But Jesus doesn't show up. Lazarus dies. Can you imagine? Maybe they told the messenger, are you sure you heard right? And he said, yes, Jesus said he wasn't going to die. And Martha must have been wondering, then why is he dead? Was Jesus wrong? Well, Jesus is never wrong, amen? Did Jesus lie? Well, no, because Jesus does not lie. So what was it? Well, let me just encourage you by teaching you this principle. Jesus said he's not going to die. But he dies. And we have to learn this about God. Sometimes we think something is over. Something has come to an end. But what you think is the end might be the beginning of what God is getting ready to do. And though at that moment Martha thought it was the end, Jesus was very well on his way to do a miracle. And I want to tell someone here this morning, that while you're waiting on God to show up into your situation, you're going to have to remember that God works all things for good for those who love Him. And you might say something is over and this is the end, it's never going to change, but Jesus will always have the last word in your life. Jesus will always have the last word in your situation. And as Jesus arrives, there's no joy. No one's saying, yes, Jesus is here. He's finally going to do a miracle. No, they say, oh, he's here. But if you're Mary, Mary said, why didn't you come here sooner? And maybe you're like Mary, you're saying, I wish God would have done something sooner. Why didn't God do it then? Why is he doing it now? Where were you when I needed you, Mary was saying in her heart. Other people in the crowd were saying, could not the one who healed the blind man prevented this from happening? See, sometimes we're like those people in the crowd and we're saying, wait a minute, God, if you healed that person, why didn't you heal me? And if you gave that person that job, why didn't you give me this job? And if you gave that person a spouse, why am I still single? And Lord, if you did it for them, shouldn't you do it for me? And they drew this dangerous comparison. Believing that whatever God does for someone, He has to do for you. And then Martha shows up. And Jesus encourages her and says, He's going to rise. And she gets all spiritual. Yes, I know He'll rise when He's in heaven. And we establish that some people are like Martha. You think that the only better days that are ahead is when you die are in heaven. But we serve a God that wants you to have joy here on earth. And when he said, open up the tomb, she stopped him and said, by now it stinks. And Martha was just complaining to Jesus how bad it stunk. And maybe that's you. But Jesus says, where have you laid him? Take me to him. So Mary just walks with Jesus. And let me tell you, Jesus tells Mary, take me to him. Mary doesn't say why. It's too late. What for? Why bother? She says nothing but walks with Him. And I'm going to tell you that's what true Christianity looks like in faith. 
Because your life is not going the way that you thought it would. Your expectations have failed. God has let you down. But you're still walking. And Mary is walking with Jesus, not knowing what's going to happen. Now we get to the point where Jesus arrives at the tomb. He says, open up and roll the stone away. And I I thought to myself, wait a minute, Jesus, you're in the business of rolling stones. That's what Easter is all about, amen? The stone rolled itself away by the angels. So I'm wondering, why couldn't Jesus just do it like that? A little bit more dramatic, right? But Jesus is teaching us a powerful principle. There are certain obstacles getting in the way of your miracle. And a lot of people want God to change their lives and do a mighty miracle, but you don't want to roll the stone away yourself. And Jesus is saying, in order for me to do a miracle, you have to do your part. See, Jesus will do the impossible. But you have to take responsibility for your own life and do what you can yourself. So everyone is rolling that heavy stone. And now the stone is out of the way. And Jesus stands there. Can you see it, church? Then he says, Lazarus! And everyone's probably thinking, poor guy. He's still trying to reach him. He's still trying to talk to him. And Jesus says, Lazarus! Come out! Lazarus gets up. And the impossible happened. He came out. Alive. And that's what God does. God will get you out of situations you thought were impossible. God will come through because His Word is the last word over your situation. And when Jesus says, come out, it didn't matter how long He was dead. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it will pierce through your situation and raise the dead if He has to. And Lazarus comes out. And everyone's in shock. And Martha, the one that said, what is he stinks by now? She saw that man and it did not stink at all. It was amazing. He comes out. And everyone is celebrating. Everyone's in shock. Everyone, can you feel the joy and the, the happiness and the strength of everyone restored in their faith? But there's a problem. Say, Pastor, what's the problem? He's been risen. Verse 44. The dead man came out. Amen. His hands and feet. What? Bound. And grave clothes. His face wrapped in head cloth. And Jesus did not stop and say, well, at least he's alive. The next thing Jesus says is an even greater miracle. He said, unwrap him. Set him free. Let him go. That's what that phrase, let him go, means. It literally means to let someone free. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to save you. He wants you to live a life of freedom. He wants to set you free. And Lazarus comes out alive, but he's bound in grave clothes. Can I tell you that's a contradiction? Because grave clothes 
was reserved for dead people, not people that were alive. So here we have a man that's alive, living like he's dead. And I wondered as I read this, I could have ended the series last week, but I did not. Because I wondered, as I wondered about my church, that the Lord has given me the grace to pastor. How many of you as Christians are a living, breathing contradiction to God? Living like you're dead. You're saved. But you're still bound. Today, for the most part, this best describes many people in the church. You're saved. But you're not free. You're going to heaven. But you're still bound here on earth. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this. It's a picture of us like Lazarus. Once you were what? You were dead. Because of your disobedience in your many, I love how God says it, many sins. Can we say amen? amen? Don't act like, what? Sins? What are you talking about? Many sins. You used to live in sin. Do you remember your life before Jesus? You lived for sin. Just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of an unseen world. You know what the Bible says here? Before Jesus, you were on the devil's side. Living for the devil. Living for the world. Living for sin. But see, the Bible says that you used to live that way because when you come to Christ, it's impossible for someone that's truly saved to be back in the world again. He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. But God, in His soul rich in mercy, He loved us so much that even though we were what? Dead because of our sins, He gave us what? Life. When He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Can we give God praise for that? It is only by God's grace that you sit here in this church, born again, believing in Jesus. It is only by God's grace that the gospel was presented to you and you responded. It is only by God's grace that he told you by name and said, come out of that world, come out of that grave, come out of that death and brought you back to life. For he, what? Raised us from the dead. Along with Christ. Seated with him in heavenly realms. That's what salvation looks like. The same thing that happened to Lazarus. He was raised from the dead, brought into life, left the darkness of that cave into the light. Can I get an amen? John 8.36 says this now. So if the Son sets you what? Free. The same word that Jesus used, let him go. If the Son has set you free, you are truly free. But look at Galatians 5.1. Here's the problem. Written to a church. It is for freedom that Christ has set you what? He has set you free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul writes this to a church, reminding them that they are saved. That they have freedom. That Christ has set them free. And he says to stand firm. 
and do not allow yourself to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not allow yourself to be burdened again. Do not allow yourself to be bound again. Paul is writing to Christians in the church who have salvation. These were Jews that converted into Christianity, but somehow they were convinced that they had to go back to their old ways of living under the law. They had to go back to the old ways of worship. So therefore they were burdened and miserable. And Paul had to write them and say, you have been set free. Do not go back to your old ways. Paul had to warn them that when you are saved, you are saved, you are set free. But you have to stand firm because if you're not firm in the word of God, the devil will cause you to go back to old ways. Back to old burdens. Back to old lifestyles. Because the devil wants you bound. He wants you to go back to your old ways of living. Go back to those old relationships God sent you free from. Go back to that old sin that held you in bondage. He wants you to go back to old ways. And maybe like Lazarus, you're alive. You've been raised. You are saved. But you find yourself wrapped up in old lifestyles. Bound. And I wonder how many of you, like Lazarus, are in this church bound to something. You're bound to your past. Can't forgive yourself for what you did. Can't forgive yourself for the people you've hurt. You're bound with guilt that tells you you're worthless. God can't love you. God can't use you. God can't forgive you. You're bound by guilt. You're bound by bad habits that ruin your testimony. You're still bound to cigarettes, bound to alcohol, bound to filthy language, knowing that if anyone in church saw you, it'd give a bad testimony, but you're bound to it. Bound to sin. That not only has bounded you, but has bounded your whole family. It's a generational curse. Are you bound to fear? Always anxious, always worried, always stressed. What's going to happen? What if? What's tomorrow going to bring? Bound to lust. Looking at pornography. The statistics said this year alone that in the church over 80% of men look at pornography at least twice a month. Bound by lustful images. The wandering eye. Bound by depression. Going to bed alone, going to bed crying. Don't know why you're sad. You're sad because you're bound. Bound to anger. Rage. Uncontrollable outburst. Triggered. Hurting people with your words. You drive angry. You look angry. You act angry. Because you are angry. Because you're bound to anger. Bound by what someone did to you. Can't forgive them. Bitter. Won't forget it. Can't forget it. Bound to perfectionism. Everything has to be right. Has to be my way. Why? Because you are bound by approval. 
You need validation. If not, you're bound to depression because of it. You need the likes. You need the compliments because you're bound by approval. And when you see someone else have what you think you should have, you are bound to jealousy, envy, that leads you to be bound to hatred. The devil doesn't care if you're saved. Pastors have to stop saying this. The devil's mad because you're in the church today. He ain't mad. He knows he's waiting for you back home. He's like, hey, have a great time at church. See you later. Maybe he's in the parking lot waiting in your car. He's not mad because you're saved. He doesn't say, ah, I lost another one. Never did the devil say that when someone, the angels rejoice when one gets saved. But the devils and the demons don't go, oh, we lost one. No. The devil ain't mad that you're here. He's not angry that you're saved. As long as he knows, he has you bound. That's the devil we serve in the church. I don't care that you sing worship songs. I don't care that you read the Bible in the morning with a cup of coffee. I don't care that you go to Bible study. I don't care that you're on the way to heaven. I only concern myself with binding you. Wrapping you up so you don't experience the freedom of Christ. Because when you are a genuine believer that walks in the freedom of Christ, you are a threat to that enemy. But as long as the devil has you bound, you're okay. That's what Paul told the church. Another church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Notice what Paul says to this church. I'm afraid. He's being honest. I'm afraid that just as Eve, he's going all the way to the beginning of mankind. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind's, he may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Let's read that again. Notice what Paul says. I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The reason that this verse is so amazing is that the word astray literally means to bind someone and pull them away like a slave. It's to tie someone up and pull them away where they don't belong. And Paul tells the church, you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that that devil, the same devil that since the beginning of mankind has tried to let people astray from the Lord, is the same devil today in the church that walks right by you. He slithers like a serpent and he tries to bind you and pull you and lead you astray from being devoted to Christ. You know what the devil does not want is a Christian that is devoted to Jesus. And he says, I'm afraid he's going to lead you astray. And when I look at my church, our church, when I look at all the years that I've been a pastor, to be fair and honest, I have seen more people go astray than I have been saved. I have seen more people be led astray 
than any other thing I've seen in the church. People that used to be in church and, and worship and sing and serve and add joy are no longer in any church at all because the devil has bound them and led them astray. Back in the world. Back in old ways. Back in old habits. Bound again. Led astray. And notice the word astray means to pull you away to a place where you don't belong. That's what the devil does. Tries to bound you, to pull you away so that you will be in places you don't belong. He wants you to be back with friends you know you don't belong with. Amen? He wants to bind you and put you back in places you don't belong in. You look back at, you look at people's social media and you think, what are they doing there? And I said, oh, Another one goes astray. And environments you don't belong in. Back in the day you belonged there because you did not know Jesus. But now that you know Jesus, what are you doing there? It's because you're bound. Being led astray where you don't belong. Going to websites you don't belong in. Having conversations you don't belong in. Doing things that don't belong in a life of a believer. Thinking in ways that don't belong in your mind. Because that's how you know you're bound. The devil leads you astray. And Paul says, I'm afraid. That the same devil that did it to Eve in the beginning is going to slide into church. Bind you. And pull you away. There would be such revival in the church in America if there weren't so many people in the church going astray. Amen? That's what the devil does. And I admire Paul because it took a real man to talk to the church and say, I'm afraid for you. And I'm afraid for the church today. For this church. That every week and every year as time goes by, more and more people go astray. Back in their grave clothes. Living like they're dead. How do you know you're bound? Because the devil's going to lie and say, you're fine. Don't listen to that handsome, crazy pastor up there. You're fine. You can stop when you want. Verse 44, how do you know you're bound? Can I preach? The dead man came out. Amen? He's out. Saved. Alive. Can I get a real amen? Alright. His hands and feet bound. His face wrapped. In a head cloth. The Bible doesn't just say he was bound. It tells you where he was bound. So let me give you some good preaching this morning. He's bound in his hands. Hands. Stay with me. Hands. Show me your hands. Now bind them. Bound in the hands. Why? The hands in the Bible represent three things. Serving, worship, 
and surrender. Moses raised his hands, and when he kept his hands raised, he was winning the battle in the valley. Raising your hand is a way of saying, I am surrendering to God and trusting in Him. You know how you know you're bound? You don't depend on God anymore. You depend on your own strength, your own money, your own wisdom, your own connections, your own whatever. Thinking you can call the shots. I got this. I can do it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it happen. Me. And God's like, who are you? Boy, you can't even breathe one breath without my permission. But some of you are bound by the hands, so arrogantly thinking you can do this life on your own without God. You don't even worship the same. You're lucky I sit in the front row and I don't turn around and see your face. But I can feel it. It's dead. Come to church bound. Today you sang a song you did not worship. Might as well call it karaoke. Want worship. You don't worship God anymore. Because you're so bound that you don't even stop to say, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for who you are. You know you're bound because you don't even serve God right. You serve with an attitude. You serve with an anger problem. You serve or don't even want to serve anymore. And you think, why is it so hard to serve God? Why is it so hard to serve others? Why is it so hard to help other people out? Because your hands are bound. His feet were bound. Go ahead, cross your legs. It's okay, cross them. Your feet represented what helped you walk. And in the Bible, walking was symbolic of obedience and how you lived your life. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, the Bible says. Walk in the right path, Proverbs says. Your walk is how you choose to obey God. You know you're bound because you're not obedient anymore. You do what you want, how you want, when you want, how you feel it should be done, but you don't go to the Word of God in obedience anymore. It's affecting the way you live. It's affecting the way you act because it's affecting the way you walk. You can't walk right because you're bound by disobedience. The Bible says his face was covered. So that means his eyes were covered. The devil wants to bind you in your eyes. Affect the way you see. You know you're bound because you don't see things right. You know you're bound because you can look at someone and all you see is the negative. All you can see is the critical. All you can see is yourself. You know you're bound because you see yourself either pridefully right, like you're awesome, or you see yourself like you're pathetic. You tell yourself, I'm worth this, I see myself, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that. And the devil wants to convince you by looking at the wrong way. Affecting the way you see your life. Affecting the way you see church. Affecting the way you see God. Affecting your way. Because the devil wants to bind you in vision. Where you can't see yourself getting right with God. You can't see yourself being set free. You can't see yourself successful. You can't see your marriage being healed. You can't see your kids being raised in the church. You can't see it because you're bound. Bound in the eyes. Bound in the mouth. Uh Uh-oh. Bound in the mouth. Where you know you're saying things you shouldn't. 
taking the Lord's name in vain, using profanity, coarse joking. <laughs> this, this is what she said. Dirty. Gossip. Slander. The Bible says, with the mouth they praise me, and with the same mouth they curse men. Bound. In the way you speak. Bound in the ears, the way you hear. You can't even hear God anymore. Because you're bound by sin. I preach the Word of God, but you're thinking about lunch because you can't even hear God anymore. You're bound because all you listen to is garbage and filth because the devil loves it. Bound in a headcloth in your thoughts. Are you anxious? What do you think about lately? Are you worried? How are your thoughts? Are you prideful? That's all here. Your thoughts have you bound. Lazarus was all wrapped up in his feet, hands, eyes, ears, mouth, head, And I can only imagine in this church how many things are wrapping you up in this world. Is the Lord speaking to you this morning? Jesus in this story teaches us how to be set free. And the three things that Jesus teaches us are three things we take for granted. Can I teach you this morning to close the series? Number one, Jesus. Stay with me, Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 43. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Now, everyone, let's, let's really learn today because a lot of us say, well, the reason that Jesus only said Lazarus is because if he would have just said anything, all of the dead would have raised. That's true. It's true. But Jesus said, Lazarus! Why did Jesus just say Lazarus? It's because he was bound and dead. But the word Lazarus in both the Greek and the Hebrew is the word El-Lazar, where we get the name Eleazar from, and Lazarus in the common English. El-Lazar, the word El means God. The word Lazar literally translates to help, to support, to get someone up. So the name Lazarus literally means God will Help! Could it be that Jesus stood at that tomb, looked at that deep darkness that this man was in, all wrapped up and dead, and said, God will help! What if God is looking at you right now, wrapped up and hopeless, and He said, God will help you! Because the first thing you need to know if the devil has you bound is God will lift you up. He will help you. He is calling out to you saying God will help. Your money can help. Your pleasures can help. Your friends can help you. There are some things in life only God can help you in. So stop depending on yourself, your strength, your wisdom, your psychology, your therapist, your medicine, your drugs, your alcohol, your sex, your pornography, your friends, the world. Because God is looking at you saying, I, and only I, Elohim, God can help. Number two, verse 40. He says, Jesus responded, 
Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory? You know what he says to Martha? Martha, I spoke a word into your life and told you he would rise. But you have allowed life and your situations to drown out my word. Church, don't we do that today? You want to be set free from what binds you. The Word of God is not only powerful, but it has to be the authority in your life. Above every problem, every emotion, every opinion, and every choice you make, it has to be above Right now, the authority of God's Word. You must trust it. You must obey it. And the reason you're bound is because you have let life speak louder than God. You have let your problems speak louder than God. You ever wonder why God shouted? Because I believe at that moment, everyone was talking, everyone was busy, everyone. And God had to shout, Jesus had to overpower all the other noise that was around. And you're bound today because there's so much noise all around you telling you the world is ending and climate change and the economy and this and job loss and COVID and this. And what are you going to do? What's going to happen? But if you would just stop and say, Lord, you told me in your word. And I wonder today if God's looking at you saying, didn't I tell you? Because God has a word perfect for your situation. Amen. I was walking at Walmart. The devil's at Walmart. Oh, he is at Walmart. I'm walking there, looking at baby stuff, dreaming. I can't wait. Then I saw the price for diapers. I mean, did you know how expensive diapers are? And I saw the diapers and I said, oh my gosh. And I saw the formula and I went, oh my goodness. And I looked everywhere. This is all so many zeros. And instantly, I gotta be honest today. Instantly, oh, a thought of fear came to me. Said, how are you gonna provide for this child? How are you going to do this? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to, how are we going to, what And I stopped. And I said, because the Lord tells me, He will supply my needs according to His riches. The Lord tells me not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry itself. And if God feeds the birds in the air, how much more will the Lord feed you? And I put the Word of God to what was trying to bind me. The Word of God has to have the authority. And lastly, might catch you by surprise, verse 44. Because you know, it's Jesus that says, I will help you. And the Word of God has to be the authority. So make sure you spend time in His Word. Because that's going to be what reminds you in Christ is who God is. And the dead man came out and his hands, feet bound, grave clothes, his face wrapped in head And Jesus told them, can you everyone say that? Jesus told them, unwrap him. And I had to tell you, I said, oh, Jesus, had it been me, I would have made this a dramatic moment. I would have come up to Lazarus got in the grave clothes, the wrappings, I would have unwrapped him and said, the Lord has set you free. And I would imagine everyone saying, yeah, Gene. And Jesus wasn't dramatic. He said, you guys, unwrap him. And I said, Jesus, why didn't you do it? Because Jesus was teaching us the power of community. The power of relationship. 
This is why God instituted the church. One of the ways that you get set free from what binds you is by this church. The people around you that will be there when you're bound. The people around you that are there, we're not going to judge you because you're wrapped up. We're there to help. That's why we exist as a church to come together when one of us is bound to be there. That's why we get together on Wednesdays on Bible studies and we talk and we relate. That's why we have church on Sundays. That's why we come together when you're in trouble because you have Jesus. That's great. You have his word. That's amazing. But you also need his church. And Hebrews 10, 25, the writer says to a church, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another. Encourage one another, especially now that the days of his return is near. So Jesus made it so that people would stand by your side that love you, to help you little by little. They unwrapped it. Are you thankful for the church? Are you thankful? Come on, give God praise. If God has put you in a church that teaches His Word, thank Him. Because many churches don't do that I was fine, I just tell you this. That this Tuesday I went to the Miami Rescue Mission to preach, and this guy came up to me with tears after we got done with the service. And, and he hugged me. He says, Pastor D. I said they kind of go, Pastor D. I love you. And I was like, okay, I love you too. And he says, Pastor, you don't know what happened to me. And I said, What? He said, I went to a church by our Next door to us, I went to a church nearby. And pastor, I miss when your church was over here in the mission. I miss going to church every Sunday with you guys. And he said, Pastor, because I'm telling you not to just suck up to you, but I'm telling you, you tell it like it is, bro. You tell it like it is. And I love it. And I need it. And when I was in this church, I didn't understand anything. And I said, man, if I can go back to those days. And I said, you know what? It's true. We have a great church that you could come to all wrapped up. You will hear the word of God little by little to unwrap. Come on, give God praise. You have Jesus that says, I will help you. You have the word that says, I will guide you. And you have the church that says, I will be there. And all these three things can help you get set free. But all these three things are things we take for granted. So I'll close with this. Let's all stand to it. Were you blessed by this series this month? It's been a great series. But I want to tell you a story about a man named Crossley Green. I read about him this week. Ironically, this week, this man named Crossley Green was convicted. He was convicted in 1989 of murder. But in 2018, he was released. As he was released, after 32 years incarcerated, for two years this man's life was set free. He got a job. He got a girlfriend. He was back with his family. And he was serving in his church. And then he got the letter in the mail. 
that he had to go back to prison because it was a mistake that he set him free. It was a mistake in the due process that set him free in the first place. But a new circuit judge was ordered. And when they saw this case, that circuit judge says, no, bring him back. And the judge gave him three more days of freedom. But says, you have to return on Sunday at 5 p.m. And they asked Crossley, what's the last thing you want to do before you go back to prison? He says, I want to go back to my church. That's how I want to spend my last day as a free man. And that Sunday, that was his last Sunday worshiping. The last Sunday with his church family. The last Sunday with his pastor. He didn't want to do anything else but go to church. And as church ended, and he hugged everyone goodbye, they drove him back to that prison where he's at today. You might say, Pastor, this is terrible. This is sad. But I wonder, as I read this article, how many of you are in church right now? But when this church service ends, you're going back to your prison. You're going back to the bondage that's waiting. The devil has sent you a letter and said, enjoy your weekend. Have a great time in church, but I want you back. And I wonder how many of you are going to leave this church service today. Back to your What will you say today? Lord, I want to live in the freedom you got. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Are you bound? If you're bound by something, would you show me your hands? Just show me. God bless you. Right where you're at. Would you thank the Lord right now for setting you free? If you're bound, you can be set free by knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living inside each and every one of us. Whatever binds you, know Jesus is shouting right now at you, saying, the Lord will help you. El Lazar, I, God, will help you. And the Word of God has to be the authority of your life. Don't go by what you think, opinions, what you feel, what you've done. You go by the Word of God because the Word of God says, He who the Son has set free be truly free in Jesus. So would you right now tell the Lord where you're at? Is it your eyes, your head, your hands, your feet? You say, Lord Jesus, pray this way. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for my sin. Church, if you're here this morning, maybe you're still dead in your sin. Today, Jesus Christ can set you free. He died on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says if any man confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will be saved. So today, whoever you are, no matter what you've done, maybe you're listening online right now. If this is you, would you pray this with me from your heart? Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Today, I surrender my life to you. 
Help me, Lord. And save me. And if you're here today and you're saying, Lord, I'm saved. I am born again. On my way to heaven. But I'm bad. Would you speak the word of God into your situation? I say, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, your word has authority over my life. And I speak freedom over my eyes, freedom over my mouth, freedom over my ears, freedom over my thoughts, freedom over what binds me. In the name of Jesus, and only through Jesus do I trample the enemy. And he will not lead me astray. Father, set me free once and for all. Indeed, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Come on, give God some praise today. Come on. Amen. You guys can have a seat. That concludes our service and it concludes our series. Are you a Mary or Martha? And I had to throw in Lazarus there in the end. So I pray that you guys were blessed. Some of you say, Pastor, I was blessed for this whole month that I've been here. I needed this series.